0: listening to the Retro Sermons podcast. Find out more at NorthColumbusChristians.com slash Retro Sermons. I'm glad that we're able to be here tonight to be together to worship God. I hope that each one of us realizes that another day has brought us closer to the time when we will stand before God in the judgment. We ought to be thankful that we are here on time side of eternity think about what we may do to be prepared for that event. I'm aware that I will give an account for what I say here tonight, and you will give one for how you receive it. And I hope that both will be acceptable to God, both what I say and what, how you hear. You know, there are some expressions that that just stick in your mind. I think about a place that Brother Franklin Puckett used to live. The name of it was Calico Rock. I can't imagine what that looked like, but that name has stuck with me. And statements like you read in the Bible that says, Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Or the statement that is made in the 56th Psalm, which says, Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not written in thy book? both of which tell us that there is a record in heaven. And in Luke chapter 10, after they had gone out to preach the gospel, uh, not the gospel, but preparation for the gospel, it tells how they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in thy name. And Jesus said, I beheld Satan falling as lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Nevertheless, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You ever stand by the bed of a loved one that you know is terminally ill and realize there's not a thing in the world you can do to get that person well and how you wish you could do something or say something that would make that person whole again. But you realize you can't. But even if you could, Jesus said there's something better than that. Don't rejoice, he said, that the demons are subject to me to you in my name. Don't rejoice, as he pointed out, they had authority over the serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. He said rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That lets me know there is a record God has one, and it is written in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, the writer said, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and the love which you showed, showed toward his name, in that you ministered unto the saints and still do men. That implies that if God forgot about it, that would be unrighteous. But he said, God is not unrighteous to forget your work. God knows what we do. God remembers what we do. And in that sense, there is a record in heaven. Oh, I don't think God has a ballpoint pen, a piece of paper, and he writes all that down. But this passage in Luke 10, verse 20, does tell us there is a record, that our names can be in that record. And I want to think with you tonight about that question. Is your name written in heaven? The day is coming when you're going to hear that answered in a very plain, positive way, either yes or no. But how you act tonight, may well determine how that answer is going to be. When he said in this, Rejoice not that the demons are subject to you in my name, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul made mention of the fact some people, he said, whose names are in the book of life. Evidently, that's talking about the same thing. The name being written in heaven, the names are written in the book of life. In Philippians 3, verse 20, He said, Our citizenship is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our citizenship is in heaven. Our names are in heaven. In Hebrews 12, verse 23, he said, you are come to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. These are people that are already enrolled there. Their names are on the roll. We sing a song about when the roll is called up yonder. I'm not sure what all that might involve. But there are names enrolled in heaven. They're in the book of life. And the Bible shows that these are names written in heaven. And we ought to be concerned about our name where it is written. That is, is it written in heaven? In Revelation 20, verse 15, there are some that are going to be cast in the lake of fire, and their names are not in the book of life. And because they're not in the book of life, they're going to be cast into that lake. And in Revelation 21, verse 23, People that are not going to be allowed to enter into the city do not have their names written in the book of life. But those whose names are written in the book are going to be able to enter into that city. So we're talking about an important question. I doubt that you could consider a more important question than is your name written in heaven? Is it? It's more important than any earthly record. Uh, Occasionally, uh, a friend of yours may have his name uh, in the newspaper and you'll look at it and your eyes brighten right up. I see his name right there in the paper. And there are people that are careful to have their names written in who's who of American colleges or something like that. All of which may be well and good but it really doesn't compare in any way with having our names written in heaven. We ought to be concerned about it. A lot of people want to see their names are written on some church roll or some church membership. Just because your name may be written on a church roll or a church membership is no guarantee that it's in heaven. The churches that I'm associated with would like very much for the record they have and the record that God has to be the same. But I suspect all of us realize that that probably is not the case. All of which says it may be important to have your name somewhere in this world but not nearly as important and not even worth comparing with the idea of having our names written in heaven. I knew a fellow. He was uh, talented, I guess you'd say, with playing a guitar. And he kept wanting to be sure that he was going to make it. And I always wondered what it was, but he was going to make it. And I think he had in mind his name was going to be written in light. Believe me, having your name written in heaven is worth a great deal more than having your name written in light. It matters where our name is written. And so as you think about that tonight, is your name written in heaven? I want to look at just what is involved in that. For example, I'd like you to think for a little while about our names being written in heaven and what that means the company is going to be. What kind of of company are we going to have when we have our names written in heaven? Well, i suggest, first of all, that the, that the company that's going to be in heaven is going to include God. In Revelation chapter 21, the record says in verse 22, And I saw the temple therein, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are the temple thereof. God is going to be there, and Christ is going to be there. A little bit later down in verse 3 of chapter 22, There shall be no curse anymore, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be therein, and his servants shall serve him. So when you think about the company that's going to be in heaven, God's going to be there. That in itself ought to be enough to cause us to want to go. And then on top of that, the Lamb, and we know who the Lamb is. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. When he saw Jesus, he said that. Jesus is the Lamb. And this says God is going to be there. The Lamb is going to be there. That's the kind of company we're going to have. What company that is. That in itself ought to be enough to cause every person to say, I want to go to heaven. I want my name enrolled in heaven because God is in heaven and His Son Jesus is in heaven. The one that loved me and died to save me, He is there and I want to be there. I believe it was Fanny Crosby who by an accident became blind wrote a song called uh, Saved by Grace and the words of it was when I awake I shall see him face to face and the idea that she had in that song was the first thing that I'll see when I can see again will be the face of Jesus whatever else you might think about Miss Crosby you'll have to admit that's quite a fault God is going to be in heaven and Christ is going to be there But Paul said in 2nd Timothy chapter 4, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Paul's going to be there. Sometimes I talk to people about uh, why they need to read uh, the book of Habakkuk. What are you going to do to get to heaven? You run up on Habakkuk and and, uh, Habakkuk, let's see. I I never heard of Habakkuk. Well, you ought to have heard of me. I wrote one of the books in the Bible. And the point I'm making is godly people are going to be in heaven. Paul said, Ah, the crown of righteousness is laid up for me, and not for me only, but for all them that have loved his appearing. That includes people that obey the gospel. That includes Christians. That includes people that are the people of God. That in itself ought to be enough to cause us to want to go to heaven, to get our names enrolled in heaven, to know that God is there and Christ is there and Paul is there and the faithful are going to be there and that ought to make me want to be there. We mentioned him a while ago in Hebrews chapter 12, where he said, You're not come to a mount that might be touched, talking about the one where they received the Ten Commandments. But he said, You are come, this is in verse 22, You're come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heaven of Jerusalem, to an innumerable host of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Earlier in that chapter, He had said, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he had just mentioned a lot of Old Testament worthies. They're going to be there. That is, those Old Testament faithful are going to be in heaven. And the New Testament faithful as well. And so Paul said, all those that have loved his appearance.' That ought to make me want to go to heaven when I think about who is going to be there. And then also when I look at the other side of the coin and think who is not going to be there, in Revelation, for example, in 19, it says in verse 20, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought the signs in his sight. And he goes on to talk about these were cast alive into the lake that burned with fire and brimstone. So over on this side of it, you're going to have the beast, the false prophet, and as it says in chapter 20 and verse 10, The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. On the one hand, you're going to have God in heaven. On the other hand, you're going to have the devil in hell. Sometimes people have the idea that the devil is going to be in charge. I, where I grew up, <laughs> the, the, the city, city, place where I grew up was a coal mining ca- town over in uh, Jefferson County. And uh, U.S. Steel, or a subsidiary of them, owned the whole town. They owned the street, they owned the houses we lived in, they owned the store, they owned the coal mine, they owned the school and the teachers, and they owned the church house. They had one church house, the Baptists had it one Sunday, the Methodists the next. And it served as a community house. They'd have uh, school plays and all kind of things like that. One of the things that stands out in my mind very vividly, black people were putting on a play, they had it just like we did. And down the aisle came this fellow just dancing all over the place and he had on a bright red suit. He had horns on his head. He had a forked tail. He had pitchfork in his hand. I knew what that was. <laughs> but the idea that a lot of people have is that's the devil and that's what he's going to be doing in hell. He's going to be tormenting all these other people and that's just as wrong as it can be. There's nothing in the first place to indicate that the devil looks like that, but the real thing is the devil is going to be getting the punishment just like everybody else in hell. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. If I didn't know another thing about it, I wouldn't want to go to hell because the devil's going to be there. And false teachers are going to be there. Those, he says here, the false prophet is going to be there. The one that deceived them. And they're going to be there. So I wouldn't want to go because I don't want to go where the devil is. I don't want to be where all false prophets are. But then to make bad matters worse in Revelation 21, verse 8, but for the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Suppose you're in the real estate business and you got this house you want to sell and the people look it over and they like the house pretty well. What about the neighbors? Well, you said the fellow that lives next door to you is a liar. You you can't depend on a thing you says. The fellow across the street from you is a drunkard. The man that lives right by him is an adulterer. Right next door to you is going to be an idolater. they are going to be those that make lies and love lies and tell lies, and that's the crowd you're going to move into. You think you'd buy that house? I don't believe I would, and I don't believe you would. That tells me something about the company that's going to be in hell. The devil, the false prophet, uh, the beast that deceives them, and everyone that he describes in chapter 21, verse 8, the fearful, abominable, murderers, fornicators, idolaters, and all lies, that's where they're going to be. I don't want to be with them. I don't want to be them with on earth, in the sense that they're just like, I'm just one of them. And I don't want to be with them here, and I know I don't want to be with them there. Sometimes, you know, you talk to somebody about, uh, attending service maybe where you are a member. Well, they said, you know, I don't want to go over there where hypocrites are. Got too many hypocrites. Well, if we've got one, we've got too many. Be- best thing I ever read about that, I read it in some paper. I believe it was the Alabama Baptist paper. And this preacher had gone out and talked to this fella and about attending where he preached. And the, and the fella said, I don't want to come. You've got too many hypocrites. The preacher said, well, come on. We've always got room for one more. Well, that's about the way it is. A fella that'll claim I'm not going because of hypocrite doesn't have any compunction of conscience about going to hell where they're going to be all the time. Yeah, that's who's going to be there. It doesn't stop us from going to the grocery store, the football games, or whatever, But that's going to be there. And if I don't want to be with them, I better do something that will keep me out of there. And so just think about the company. On the one hand, you've got God and Christ and Paul and all the faithful of all ages, all those that have loved the appearing of the Lord. Those are the kind of people that are going to be there. And on the other hand, you've got the devil. You've got false teachers. You've got the beast that is described there. You've got the idolaters, the adulterers, the fornicators. You don't want to go there, do you? But then, too, I want you to think as well, not only about the company, but think also about the condition that's going to be. If your name's enrolled in heaven, and if you wind up in heaven, having met God's approval, think about the condition. In the first place, we would suggest there's going to be joy. In Matthew 25, verse 23, Enter to the joy of thy Lord. There's going to be joy there, which simply means happiness. That's the kind of thing that's going to be. And then over in Revelation chapter 7, he says something beginning with verse uh, 15. They are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. He that sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. Earlier he talked about some, and he said that they're going to worship God and say blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power. And the point I'm making is worship is going to be in heaven. I preach a sermon sometimes that says, how do you think you're going to like heaven anyway? said, I'm going to like it. Well, you might not. You might not. The way you can tell whether or not you're going to like heaven is the church is a foretaste of heaven, and if you're bored with church, you'd be bored for sure in heaven. If you do not love to sing the songs of Zion, you surely wouldn't like it in heaven. Guess how many rock and roll songs we're going to have in heaven? About the same number of country and western. Both of them about as immoral and ungodly as you can get. But if that's what I fill my time with, how am I going to like heaven? If I don't have any of them over there, and I haven't learned any other songs, I guess we can make that point. If I haven't learned any other songs, what am I going to do about worship? I don't mean to imply that singing is all we're going to do, but we'll be that much. But R.J. Stevens impressed me with a thought that I never had had before. He said, as far as we know, we won't have the Lord's Supper in heaven. We're not going to have any preaching in heaven. We won't take up the collection in heaven. But he said, we're going to sing in heaven. He didn't mean by that that's all we're going to do, but we're going to do that. And if we don't love that now, how are we going to love it then? One thing the Lord's not going to do. No doubt there's going to be some miracles connected with his coming and the resurrection, the raising of the bodies and all that. But he's not going to take people that do care nothing about his cause, care nothing about worship or board stiff with it, and zam, they're just going to love all of that. No, it won't work that way. We need to be cultivating the kind of disposition the attitude that loves those sort of things now that we can be prepared for that. So what's going to be in heaven? Joy and worship. And the Bible describes rest. In 2 Thessalonians 1, He says that the Lord's going to give rest to Christians that have been persecuted. We're going to have rest. Hebrews 4, I believe, verse 12, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. And so there's going to be rest there. There's going to be joy there. There's going to be worship there. And as we read a while ago in Philippians chapter 3, he said our citizenship is in heaven. Whence we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body that it may be made like his glorious body. We're going to get another body. And this particular body is not going to get sick. It's not going to know disease. You know, every time I go to the dentist, uh, the, the eye doctor, he'll change my glasses. They get weaker. My eyes get weaker. I'm getting to where I don't go right, my My wife thinks I have selective hearing. I hear what I want to hear, but that really isn't the way it is. I don't hear like I used to hear. Think what it would be. Suppose uh, that I lived to be a thousand years old, and I kept getting weaker and weaker. What do you think I'd be by the time I was 200? It may be that in many ways death's an advantage. But in heaven we're going to have a body that'll be immortal. It'll know no disease. It'll know no decay. It'll be like Christ's glorious body. And I don't know what that is. The Bible doesn't tell us other than it says that we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him. We know it won't be flesh and blood, we know that, but what it'll be we don't know but it will be a body. it'll be an immortal body, a powerful body, a glorious body, a spiritual body. And as Peter said, wherein dwells righteousness. And so when you think about it I't going to go to heaven for that to get a body that never did get sick, that knew no disease that never did decay, that never did get weaker, and a place where I could worship God, I could rest, all of those good things could be mine in heaven. But what about the other side of the coin? Well, we just read in Revelation 21, their part is going to be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And it is described in Mark 9 as fire that is unquenchable. It not only will not be put out, it cannot be put out. In chapter 14, verse 11 of the book of Revelation, he said, The smoke of their torment goeth up. It is anguish and torment. And that means that you're conscious. There are people that have the idea that that, uh, when you're dead, you're just dead. And uh, that's the end of it. No, no, it's conscious. Because it says there's going to be tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that works evil. And to have trouble and anguish and misery, all of that implies you're aware of it. You're not unconscious. You know that's happening. So it's an unquenchable fire. It is described as torment. The rich man said, I am in anguish in this life. It is described as weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It doesn't bother me uh, to hear babies cry. It doesn't even bother me to hear them cry while I'm preaching. The fact of the matter is I seldom hear them. And if I could uh, make a little bit of a side comment. <laughs> the mothers that bring little children, to, to little babies to worship and to cry a lot, they ought to get a medal instead of a lot of criticism. Because it's a bother to them. It worries them, but they're willing to do that, to bring them. And so as you think about it, it doesn't bother me to hear babies cry in church or out of church unless they're my babies <laughs> But think about grown men crying and grown women crying, and that's what this is talking about. There's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, utter frustration. That's the condition. If God were not going to be there and Christ were not going to be there, none of the good were going to be there, and just me and all I had was weeping and wailing and lake of fire and unquenchable fire and torment and outer darkness and a bottomless pit, all those kind of words, I sure wouldn't want to go with you. That's the condition of people in torment, whose names are not written in the book of life. And then when you think about not only the company there, the condition there, but then think about how long that's going to continue. These shall go away into everlasting punishment. And Second Thessalonians chapter 1 says it's going to be everlasting punishment. It'll last forever. It never will quit. If someone could go to hell and say, a hundred thousand years from now, it'll all be over, be the best news you could hear. But it'll never happen. It is said to be eternal. It is said to be everlasting. But just as surely as this is eternal and everlasting, so is this. You never will have misery, sickness, sorrow, pain. You'll never have it. It'll be joy and worship and happiness, world without end. One of the good things I learned from the lesson that we have on the rich man and Lazarus—that if, when you leave this world, you're prepared to meet God, you'll never, you'll never be able—and that's a bad way to put that—you'll never get out of the comfort that you have. You remember Abraham said, "None can cross from here to you." On the other hand, he said, "None can cross from there to us." Whatever condition you're in when you leave this world is going to be that way and worse from then on. You'll never change You'll never go from bad to good, from good to bad. So is your name written in heaven? Think about the company you're going to have if it is God and Christ and all the redeemed as compared with the devil, the false teachers, the false uh, prophet, things like that. Think about the condition you're going to be in, rest and joy and peace and worship and an immortal body as compared with fire and brimstone, lake of fire, outer darkness, all kind of bad things you can think of and think that both of them is going to last forever. That's why we say the most important question there is 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 your name written in heaven. Well, how do you get it there? How are you going to get your name there? I'd like to suggest, first of all, not by just being good. Sometimes people talk about, you know, uh, he's good enough to go to heaven. No, he's not. I talked to a fellow. He said, I, uh, why can't I go to heaven like I am? Well, that's the reason you can't. It's because you're like you are, because I'm like I am. And if I go to heaven or you go to heaven, it have to be on some basis other than goodness because we have sinned against God. We mentioned the other night as we talked about what sin is. And one of the things that sin is is to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin and anybody that's honest knows that he has not always done what was good, and any time you didn't, you sin. And so you know you, you can't go because you're good, because it says there are no wise into into anything unclean. Goodness alone is not going to get you to heaven. We read in Acts chapter 10 about a man named Cornelius. The Bible says he was a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, gave much alms to the people, prayed to God always, An angel appeared to him and said, Cornelius, you send and get Peter and he'll tell you what to do to be saved. A devout man that fears God with all his house, gives alms to the people, prays to God always, had a good influence on other folks, but he wasn't saved. He never had heard the gospel, never had obeyed the gospel, but as good morally as anybody you will find in Red Bay or anywhere else. Goodness alone is not going to save you nor anybody else. And just being religious is not going to do it. Sometimes, uh, I remember I was giving out some booklets in a, in, a, in a community, and a lady looked at the booklet, and uh, anyhow, out of our conversation, she said, in effect, you know, it doesn't matter what you are in religion. The thing that matters is, are you religious? And that's all that matters. No, that's not all that matters. We just read in Revelation chapter 20, again in Revelation 21, the false prophet is a false teacher. He's going to be cast in a lake of fire. And somebody said, well, now, yeah, that's true. If he's a false teacher, he's going to be lost. But that doesn't mean I will just because I believe him. Remember what Jesus said. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall in the ditch. Not only the leader, but the one that's led. Just being religious is not enough. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 9, In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Here are religious people. And also, we noted the other night in Romans chapter 10, he talked about his brethren. He said they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to the righteousness of God. That shows they were lost. But they were religious, very religious, in fact. And so not just being good is going to get us to heaven. And not just being religious is going to get us to heaven. And not just thinking about it and talking about it. Matthew 7 verse 21. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name, in thy name cast out devils, in thy name do many mighty works? Then will I profess unto them, Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work in it. They had been busy. And looks like sincere enough to argue with the Lord about it. But Jesus showed they were going to be lost. Just thinking about it and talking about it is not enough. That passage says in Matthew seven, verse twenty one Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in him. In Psalm sixty nine and verse twenty eight, he talked about some and said, Let them be blotted out of the book of life and not be written with the righteous. That tells who's in the book of life, those that are righteous. How do they get to be righteous? You know, there are two ways that a person can be righteous, can be right in the sight of God. One is if he never sins. We've made the point or tried to the other night that you're not born guilty of sin, you're not born in sin. When you're born into the world, you're guiltless. And if you would live from that point on the rest of your life, you would be right in the sight of God and always right. You would never be wrong. Guess how many of those there are? <laughs> None. Well, except the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not going to be righteous because we never have sin, though that's, you know, theoretically we could say possible. Practically it's not. But theoretically we'd say it was. And the only other way that anybody can be righteous is by forgiveness. And that doesn't mean, and we ought not ever get the idea, God overlooks our sin. No, God doesn't overlook our sin. In fact, in order for forgiveness to take place, Jesus had to die for us. And if he had not died for us, there would be no forgiveness. Hebrews 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to, faith to be righteous is revealed in the gospel. That is how we're going to become righteous when we were sinners. The Bible shows the way that that takes place is by our obeying the gospel. Like we read in Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9, passage that was read last night. Though Christ were a son, Yet learned the obedience by the things that he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. When we submit our wills to Christ and submit our actions to Christ, our lives to Christ, then we can be righteous. In Revelation 22, verse 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments. I hate to say this, but we have reached the time when a lot of our brethren don't want to talk about it. They want to talk about doing anything. They don't want to talk about working. You think you're going to work your way to heaven? You think you're going to get to heaven by keeping commandments? The Bible said yes. It says right here, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and enter in by the gates into the city. If we're going to get in, we're going to have to do what God commands to be done. How are you going to get your name in the book of life? Well, not just by being good, not just thinking you're going to get it there. But if we get our names in the book of life, it'll be because we obey the gospel. We read a while ago about people that don't obey the gospel. They're going to be punished, it says in 2 Thessalonians 1, they're going to be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of God. You see, they're not going to be over here. They're going to be over here, not in the presence of God. Punished with everlasting destruction because they did not obey the gospel. So our names will get written in the book of life when we obey the gospel. And the Bible makes it clear that that involves our doing whatever the Lord says. He said, as we noted last night or the other night, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. As Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. In order to get our names in the book of life, we must obey the gospel. Believing that Jesus died in our place, we are to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus by his authority in order for our sins to be forgiven. And when they're forgiven, we're righteous because we don't have anything against us. We may not stay that way very long, but right then we are righteous because we have been forgiven. Nothing is on our record against us. Therefore, we are right in the sight of God. Not that we deserved it, not that we earned it, not that we bought it, none of that. God forgave us through the blood of Christ because we were willing to submit our wills to his will. And so is your name written in heaven. Well, another way to look at that is, have you obeyed the gospel? We mentioned earlier is that Saul of Tarsus, who was a, a persecutor of the church, came to believe in Christ and repent of his sins and was told to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism stood between him and the washing away of his sins. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When he did that, his sins were washed away, no black marks on his record, he's righteous. His name is written in the book of life, not because he is just a good man, but because he obeyed the gospel. And so he raised the question tonight, is your name written in the book of life? Have you obeyed the gospel? But you know, there's another question in connection with that, and that is to consider the fact that your name can be in the book of life, and it can be blotted out. You could get it there, and then you could get it blotted out. You remember when the Israelites, Moses up on the mount and, and uh, down below, that made a golden calf and were worshiping it, And Moses came down, you remember those events, and Moses finally made the comment, that uh, certain things were to happen, and he said, If not, in praying to God, blot my name out of thy book. God said, He that sins, him will I blot out of my book. Your name can get blotted out of the book. You can obey the gospel and get in the book, but then it can get blotted out of the book. In Revelation 3, verses 4 and 5, he made the point, To him that overcometh, I will not blot his name out of my book. That says some folks' names are going to get blotted out. We not only want to ask the question, Is your name written in the book of life? Is it still written there? Did you ever get it there? And if it is there, is it still there? Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, Add to your faith virtue and the virtue of knowledge, your memory of knowledge, self-control, and so on. He said, If you do these things and abound, you shall never fall. Never fall. If we'll do the things that Peter said, we'll never fall. But he also made this comment in verse 8. If these things are yours and abound, they make you to be not idle nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, he cannot see afar off. He has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. Here's a person that didn't do that. And these verses show that his name can be blotted out of the book and your name could be bought out of the book. If you do not faithfully serve God, your name certainly can be bought out of him. And the passage we looked at in Revelation 3, verse 5, to him that overcomes, I'll not blot his name out of the book. That says if we don't overcome, our names will be blotted out of the book. Not only that, in 1 John 2, verse 15, John said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. He said, These are not of the Father, but they are of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. If I love the world, I'm going to get my name blotted out of the book. Peter said in Second Peter chapter 2, If after they have escaped the pollution of the world, this is in verse 20, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The last state is worse with them than the first. They're worse off than they were when they started. They were lost to begin with. How could they be loster? Well, I may not know. But I do know that that's what this says. I, I, I've seen happen what I believe fits that. You ever have people that obey the gospel and are faithful for a while and decide just to quit? And you go see them to restore them and it's harder to win them back than lost to get them the first time. It may be that that's exactly what they're talking about, but it does show that people can escape from the world through the knowledge of Christ and yet get entangled back in the world and overcome it. Their names are not in the book of life. In Revelation 3, he talked to the church at Laodicea and said, you're a lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. They're not in the book of life. We raised the question to begin with, Is your name written in the book of life? Greatest question could be asked. More important than having your name who's who in the newspaper or on television or up in lights, is your name written there. Remember what's involved. If your name is written in the book of life and stays there, you can be with God and Christ and all the redeemed of all ages. But if it's not, you're going to be with the devil, the false prophet his angels, everyone that loves a lie, the abominable, the murderers, the fornicators, the idolaters, the drunkards, the hypocrites. Think about your condition. Over here, if your name's in the book of life, it'll be rest and worship, and it'll be an immortal body that'll never get sick and know no disease and no decay. But if it's over here, it'll be a lake of fire and anguish and torment, world without end or either one of them. Is your name written in the book of life? Have you obeyed the gospel? Why not obey tonight? You'll never have a better time. God will never be more willing to forgive you of your sins than he is right now. You'll never have fewer sins to repent of than you do right now. You'll never find a better chance than you've got tonight to get your name in the book of life. Is it it there? Believe that Jesus died, that your name could be there. Repent of your sins. Confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. Be buried with him in water baptism. Raised to walk a new life because your name's in the book of life. Or if it was ever there and you haven't acted like you ought to, why not be restored to the Lord? His people that your name can always be in the book of life. Are you ready to go to heaven? If you're not, why not get ready? There's no time like tonight. We urge you to do that. We even beg you to do it. While we stand up and sing, make your way to the front if that's your desire. you mm-hmm.